Content warning. This episode contains imagery of bodily harm, blood, and post-childbirth. Moss Hollow. Episode 3. The Midwife. We've been walking forever at this point. I'm sweating through my shirt now despite the cool mountain air. This life jacket has been trapping a lot of heat. I considered ditching it, but I don't want to litter, and I don't want to offend Lacey, who seems to have a better idea of what's going on than I do. I mean, I'm assuming it's her. Lacey. Although it's hard to tell which voices are real and which ones I'm imagining. Given her urgency to follow, I'm pretty sure the voice was calling for her. She is leading the way, despite her injury. If she doesn't know where she's going, it would fool me. Her steady footfalls and determination through the brush make it seem like it's just an average trail she's been on many times. She wields her left arm like she's going into battle, maybe to keep balance, push branches out of the way, and then the other is her utility flashlight from her trunk. At first, I thought she was angry. Which she definitely is, and also why I'm keeping my mouth shut. But then I heard her sniffle, and I realized she was hiding tears from me. My phone's flashlight illuminates the mud and roots in front of me, and sometimes the back of her legs. Sometimes she's so fast it feels like she wants to ditch me. And I know why. All of this is my fault. There's a rush of air above me. At first, I think it's just the wind, until the calling of crows echoes through the valley. We're higher up now, and there's a break in the trees. A huge bird pushes off from a branch to get ahead of the others and lifts away. I can't tell what it is. Lacey is watching, too. Without warning, a few of the crows surge up behind us, one almost clipping my head. We both cry out as the black feathers whip past our flashlights. Are they attacking us? We follow their voices up to the sky as the larger bird circles around again. It's a hawk. Maybe it was disturbing their nests. We can barely make out the fluttering silhouettes against the sky. There's no moon, but there is some scattered light pollution from town that helps us keep track of the shapes. The crows are swooping in close. It's definitely a fight. We hear the rush of wings and panicked calls. Then the crows shrink into another part of the valley, and we can't see them anymore. The hawk calls again, but it's otherwise quiet. After a few moments, Lacey picks up her bag again, and we keep hiking. I've looked at my phone multiple times to check the clock, chalk it up to anxiety, but no matter how many times I check, it still reads the same time, when I first walked into the gas station. Suddenly, a searing shriek. The hawk dives through the branches and brushes my shoulder. I drop my phone, and all I can make out is a rush of feathers. It's attacking me. It rips at my life jacket and my hair. I'm on the ground, swinging my arms wildly to block my face and feel for it in the dark. I hear Lacey rushing to help. She swings her bag at it, almost hitting me. Fuck off, you stupid bird. The hawk makes a sharp pivot to Lacey, but she dodges and it returns to me. It swipes my face and nicks its talon across my cheek. It won't let up. What the hell? 
more birds arrive. Oh my God, are they all gonna attack us? Ugh, you dumb Alfred Hitchcock motherfuckers. The hawk rips into my arm. Lacey tries to get between me and the hawk, but the crows swarm us. I feel nothing but the beating of wings, no talons, no sharp beaks. Instead, they're rushing the hawk again. It gives a piercing cry. The birds are lifting now, swirling around each other. At least two of them have their talons sunk into the hawk. It escapes their grip, shrieking again. Lacey, despite how far away we are, rips something out of her bag and chucks it at the hawk with the elbow of a fastball pitcher. What is she? As the hawk plummets to the tree line, the object hits its wing and it disintegrates. The hawk's body begins to fall apart. It's hard to tell, but it's as if it's been hit by a car and its sinew and body parts are scattered. But the rest is something else. It dissolves into burst feathers and dust, a scattered substance that almost gives off its own light. It happens in a matter of seconds. It's hard to believe what I'm seeing. The crows circle again, letting up their speed, this time swiftly catching a gust of wind that takes them away from town. We catch our breath. I wipe my cheek with the back of my hand. Not the best idea, but I do it before I can think. I'm bleeding, but it's not much. Then I notice my arm in my phone's flashlight. Oh my god. This looks bad. What the hell was that about? I don't know what to respond. I start to consider what I can wrap my arm with. You sure know how to make enemies, Lacey says. Suddenly, my flashlight goes out. No, I check my phone. It's dead. I struggle to turn it back on, in denial. Because without it, I'm totally reliant on Lacey. Don't cry, don't cry. Don't be weak in front of her again. I'm sure my eyes are red, trying to hold it in. <sighs> Lacey's voice cuts through the darkness. Come on, it's not that bad. Nobody died. You just got scratched up is all. She scans her flashlight across my arm. Yikes. All right, I have an idea. Lacey is sitting beside me, shouldering off her life jacket. I don't need this anymore anyway, she says, lifting the bottom of her gas station polo to her teeth. I can tell she's going to tear the bottom off to use as a bandage, but it's not like in the movies. She's smart and takes her time. It's the first time I've seen her really focused on something. The flashlight sits at an angle on a rock so she can see what she's doing. She takes the base of the seam to her teeth to break some threads first, then easily tears the fabric up the side. She carefully yanks the part she wants to take off, like a crooked crop top, and then does the same on the other side. It takes a few minutes. I wipe my tears with my other hand while she methodically wraps my arm. I'm sitting up now, feeling a little more energized to keep walking at least. A branch rustles. <gasps> Something's here. Lacey grips the flashlight and quickly shines it upward. A crow. It tilts its head and blinks at us. There's something else. A calmness. A knowing. It drops something from its beak and quickly flaps away, its dark body lifting into the trees again. Lacey goes to investigate. She snatches a small object from the ground, but she's turned away from me and I can't see what it is. <laughs> what? What is it? 
is my vape cartridge. I threw this at the hawk. I can't believe... <laughs> I can't believe they brought it back to me. I admit, Lacey's laughter gets a smile out of me. I get my bearings and pocket my dead phone. Not that we have service anyway, but hers is also out of commission. We just have her flashlight now. A few minutes go by in silence. We haven't heard the voices in a while, which makes me think they weren't really there. I haven't eaten in maybe a day. I was too panicked about Claire and everything at camp. Maybe my fear was making me delusional, or my hunger was finally catching up with me. Lacey starts to hum. Maybe out of boredom to make the time move faster. I keep pace by evening out my footsteps. One, two, one, two, breathe. It can't be much longer till morning. Just as I'm zoning out, Lacey slows her pace. Something has her attention. After my mistake of bolting out of the car earlier, I think it's safest if I stick to what I know, being quiet. We approach a bend in the creek, and we crouch behind a large tree root on the embankment. Do you hear that? No. Listen. Someone is singing nearby. My heart clenches. Finally, we must be near camp. But what if... Before I can say anything, Lacey is standing back up. I grab her life jacket and pull her down. What if it's a trick? Like last time. I think this is different. Something... Someone wants me here. Like Claire wanted me. I can't see her face, but I sense her hesitation. I smell faint tobacco floating through the air. The flashlight flickers off. Lacey smacks the side of it, shakes it. <clears throat> Damn it. Look. We peer past the low shrubs and mossy slope to dim lights in the distance. A cabin. It's the cabin we saw in the water. Lacey! That's it. That's the place. Do we go in? I think we need to. I breathe in the cool air to help gather my courage. Lacey pushes her heel into the dirt and hoists herself up the slope first. As we approach the cabin, we see the shadow of a man out front, pacing back and forth. In the lantern light, we can see the smoke from his pipe coiling upward. He's anxious. As we get closer, I expect him to notice us and say something, but nothing. After a few yards, I'm now close enough to reach out and touch him if I wanted to. He's thin, with a creased brow. His other hand is pushed into a deep pocket. I can't tell how old he is, maybe our age, but he looks like worry has aged him. Excuse me, Lacey says. He doesn't look up. After a moment, we move to the porch instead. The doorway matches the vision in the water exactly. The lantern, the handprint of blood. I touch Lacey's arm, indicating that I'll go first. If we're about to die, then I don't want her walking into danger because of my actions. It's definitely not out of bravery, though. It's more like guilt. The door isn't locked. I slowly push it open, and there's a wood stove. Brooms against the wall. Moving further inside, there's a woman in bed, sweating and exhausted, cradling a bundled blanket. An older woman approaches the bed with a bowl of warm water and some cloth. At the base of the bed are bundled sheets and rags, tossed into a basket, soaked with blood. She moves a small mug within reach of the mother. 
Drink this, dear, when you're ready. The woman thanks her without looking up. The older woman turns to the door, looking directly at us. She's unsurprised, but I'm shocked she sees us. This moment feels private, like we're not supposed to be here. Come forward, dears. I've been waiting for you. I look at Lacey, but her face is steely and unrevealing. We step into the room, I'm sure looking the worse for wear. The woman removes her stained apron and carefully rolls it into her bag. I'm sorry there's nowhere to sit, but you're welcome to make yourselves comfortable by the wood stove. You've had a long walk to find me. Looking at the mother and her baby, all I can offer is, um, before she gently cuts me off. Don't worry, dear. They can't see you. I was expecting you before the baby came, but it's just as well. She approaches the door, calling for the man. She behaves with an assurance as if it's her cabin, though it's definitely theirs. The man enters and cautiously sits on the edge of the bed. It's as though he's paced in and out of the cabin for hours, but this time his footsteps feel steady. The woman is right. He doesn't notice us. Lacey seems to trust her and immediately goes along with her suggestion. Before I can say anything else, her life jacket is off and the bag is lightly tossed against the wall. She sits on the floor by the stove, taking in a deep breath. I move a little more slowly, taking in the space. The most striking object in the room is an intricate quilt, neatly folded over a wooden chair. There are tins and jars on a high shelf. There's no faucet, just a basin for washing. A sewing table, baskets, oil lamps lit throughout the room, giving a soft glow. The woman pulls a separate bucket from under a table, takes a small brush, and begins scrubbing her nails. It's clear to me now where the handprint came from. Lacey looks her up and down. I can't tell if it's out of judgment or recognition. Look at the wall, she says. She nods to a space next to the wood stove. A few black and white photographs nailed in simple frames hang there. Lacey bolts up to touch one of the photos. What is this? There's no answer, just a wry smile. This was in Granny's house growing up. I, how do you have this? The woman lets out a laugh. <laughs> You'll recognize it soon enough. My girls, I don't have much time to speak with you. The veil is thin, but not for long. Now Lacey looks bothered, and I'm afraid to ask anything. I'm the midwife. I've been in these hills a long time, and I've been expecting you. How? I ask. Lacey stares at the photo. You're facing a challenge, and I think I can help. This isn't something you can do on your own. How did you know? We're searching for her right now. Since she brings up a challenge, I'm assuming she's talking about Claire, but her demeanor becomes very solemn. It's more than simply finding the child, I'm afraid. A silence settles in the room. Lacey turns over her shoulder. I was told about you. You called me here. Yes, though both of you are needed here. Her eyes shift to me, and they look... unnatural. I know I'm not in danger, but there's a shadow to them that I've never seen in a person before. It seems like she's looking past me and directly at me at the same time. It's unsettling. Show me what you used against the hawk, dear. 
Lacey fumbles into her pocket and places the object in the midwife's hand, which by now is almost clean. The midwife laughs. <laughs> Mint! Excuse me? Lacey asks. You are learning fast. Mint links life and death. It binds the cycle of death and rebirth. Lady, that's a vape cartridge. It's just flavored. She stops, making the realization. It's mint-flavored. And what else do you have? She asks, eyeing the bag. My grocery bag? She reveals the dead flashlight, her waterlogged phone, the bungee cords, the bottle of whisk- Aha! And corn. You are lucky. They go hand in hand. The corn mother also balances life and death, one giving way to the other. Corn is prosperous and brings us abundance. Neither of us know what to say to that. And most importantly, these plants and the others on your path are your connection to the other realm. My mouth is probably hanging open, but after a short pause, my patience has run out. Ma'am, um, I'm sorry, but we're in a bit of a hurry. There's a child missing from the camp I work at, and it's been a full day and night, I think. And since time is, um, of the essence, I wanted to ask if you've seen her. If you know where she is, I need you to help us go in the right direction, please. If this woman is a spirit, I don't want to piss her off. The least I can do is be polite. I do, but it's not so simple. She dries her hands and pockets the cartridge. She steps over to the stove to place another piece of wood into the low flame. She speaks softly as she stokes the fire. She is not reachable by regular means. Don't despair. This doesn't mean you can't reach her at all. It means you'll need to use our methods. I will help you as much as I can, but I don't have time to teach you everything you need to know. She closes the stove. Follow me. We trail behind her, down the steps of the porch. For some reason, it feels like I need to tiptoe, like I'll disturb something if I don't. Just at the edge of the lantern light, before we reach the trees and complete darkness, she lowers to the ground. She reaches her hand out into the dirt. Lacey and I look at each other. Come now. Do as I do. We bend to our knees next to her and place our hands into the dirt and leaves. We wait a minute. The midwife's eyes are closed. If I'm questioning what we're doing in my head, I can only imagine the snide remarks Lacey is holding in right now. But she hasn't made a sound. I'm not sure if she's invested or if she's just holding her tongue. In the low light, my eyes start to adjust. I try to follow the midwife in earnest now, pressing my fingers against the cool earth. A hum starts again, like before, but this time without the sense of dread. My hands tingle, but there's no electric feeling. This time, it's calm. I can breathe fully and release the tension in my back. It's the first real comfort I've felt in a long time. The feeling rushes under my skin. My hair stands on end, but the sensation is one of clarity and relief, like slipping into a warm bath. The ground seems to waver. Oh no. I hope this doesn't mean I'm about to pass out. But when I look at the midwife, I see a slight smile, expecting something more. When I look to the tree line, there's a soft glow that rises from the moss. The light shifts color across the tree roots, 
The ground cover, the broken logs and stones. The air clears. This must be a dream. I feel the energy moving through the dirt and into my fingertips. Look what is offered to you. This is your path. The glow extends into the woods, away from the cabin. When you lose control of your fear, it will find you through the moss. You must learn that the plant spirits will help you as long as you know how to ask. She slowly rises and brushes off her dress. You're safe for a while longer. Get what rest you can while you're here, and then begin again. Come, I have food waiting for you. As I stare into the woods, our path is clear through the darkness, still illuminated by the moss and some ground cover. Lacey rises too. Anna, your arm. The fabric around my arm is coming undone. I think she's stepping over to fix it, but she carefully pulls it off, revealing small, healed marks. No blood. It's barely noticeable. Your forehead. There's still a line there, but it looks more like a small scar. Hurry, dears. You need your strength. Back in the cabin, the couple hasn't moved. They're not frozen, but they stay almost within a pattern, like they're captivated in their own moment. The midwife hands us plates of food, already prepared. It's strange, I hadn't smelled food at all when I first came in, and yet a warm plate is being foisted into my hands, filled with the most delicious country cooking I've ever seen. Johnny cakes, which I haven't had since I was a kid, stewed cabbage, pickled beets, a couple sausage rolls. Thank you. Lacey seems unnerved by the scene that shares the room with us. Noticing this, the midwife mentions, You're welcome to sit on the porch and rest your feet a while. Before Lacey feels comfortable eating, she collects everything back into the tote bag and hauls the life jacket outside with her. You coming? There's only one chair, but she allows me to take it when she slides down against the wall and dives into her food. As hungry as I am, I only manage to pick at each item one at a time. I can't stop staring at the glowing light. You know, Lacey says with her mouth full. In the Irish stories, they say you should never eat the food offered to you in the other realm. I swallow the bite in my mouth. Uh-huh. If that's true, and if that's where we are, then they can keep me here, because this is somehow the best thing I ever ate. I haven't had food like this since before Granny died. You want mine? I hold up the sausage with my fork. You don't? I'm vegetarian. She says... Of course you are, even though she's already reaching for my plate. Who's in the photo? I ask. Someone in my family. I can't place her, though. Granny kept tons of photos and odds and ends and things to pass down. I have some of them, but I couldn't save everything. She had all the family records, too. I haven't looked in those boxes for a long time. Your granny sounds like a smart woman. Yeah. She gets quiet. We stare out into the shimmering woods, the glow making it seem much less terrifying. There's something she's not telling me. I don't know, maybe I'm just on edge. Although I feel a little more nourished and a little less lightheaded, I'm worried about continuing to walk. The midwife says we're safe for now, which means inevitably the thing that's out there is still after us for some reason. Maybe it's the adrenaline, or a second wind, 
but I can't calm my body despite soaking in the energy from the earth. Lacey, do you think the thing is still out there? Oh yeah, definitely. That's reassuring. Well, you ask because you know it's true. Maybe the midwife knows what it is. I watch a moth float around the lantern, attracted to the light while putting itself in imminent danger. I don't understand what all she means about the plants. That's why I've brought one for you. The midwife steps onto the porch. Is the baby okay? I ask. She nods, squinting her spirit-doused eyes with a comforting smile. This is for you, dear. She hands me a flower, if you can call it that. It looks more like tiny pom-poms of seeds all spread out like a tiny firework. Angelica, wild celery. In my practice, it helps bring down a fever and cool the body. But for you, Angelica protects those who carry it. It'll ward off evil. Lacey scoffs. I shoot her a harsh look. This will offer protection and guide you on your way. Also remember that this will connect you to your ancestors when you need them. She looks at Lacey for this. I'm sorry to interrupt, but how is this going to help us find Claire? Or get back to Anna's camp? It is important to have patience. She takes out the cartridge and places it calmly in Lacey's hand. The plant spirits will not be bent to your will for anything. And in fact, there are horrible consequences for those who misuse them. Plant spirits? How would we misuse them? How do we know what to do? They have their own way of speaking with you. Remember, you cannot force their nature. If you know how to work with them, they will be benevolent. She touches the top of the angelica with her fingertips. This can magnetize you to the person you're looking for. How? How do we use it? There is someone you must find. She helps with the naming of things. Lacey and I look at each other. You have access to the corn mother. You have mint for bridging life and death. You can be successful in this. And bring your Angelica for protection. You'll need it, my dears. She crouches down and speaks almost in a whisper. You must take these to the crossroads. Look for the librarian. She will give you what you need next. Take heart. You're ahead of where I expected you to be. You already have your first three. You mean there are more? Yes. Keep them safe. You can't continue without them. She seems finite about this, like it's our cue to leave. For Lacey, she retrieves one more thing from her dress pocket. A small box, which Lacey immediately opens, and closes it again. She looks up at the midwife, who unfurls the piece of fabric belonging to her shirt. But now it's clean and perfectly pressed. Lacey's upset. Her eyes darken. I wait for her to ask the question on her mind, but she doesn't. Then I wait for a subject change. Maybe Lacey wants to ask about the hawk, or the photograph inside. But still, she says nothing. Thank you for the food, I say, cutting the tension. Quickly, I add, does the librarian have Claire with her? She places a rough hand on my cheek. She will tell you what to do, dear. It's time for you to go. As Lacey and I step off the porch carrying our things, we look back to the door, and the midwife is already gone. 
Ahead is a stretched pathway of glowing moss and shimmering orange jewelweed. Specks of light float upwards like dust motes in a sunlit window. The trail fades into the darkness, and we steal our courage to follow. We force ourselves towards the trees, away from the comfort of the warm cabin. Lacey turns the box over in her hand. What is it? I ask. She ignores me, but then changes her mind and says, Nothing. She throws it to the ground and continues walking. She's already into the woods when I retrieve the box. Maybe I shouldn't open it, but I do anyway. There's just enough lantern light left to see what's inside. Why would she throw this away? Lacey! When I turn to the cabin one last time, it's gone. There's just a faint glow of a lantern that should be there, but isn't. The man paces near his garden, continuing his pattern of smoking his pipe, just as he was when we first arrived. I spin the stem of the angelica between my fingers, making it twirl. I stuff the box into my pocket, which is too small, but it just fits. Lacey! I call again, this time willing myself into the woods after her. Moss Hollow is written and performed by Melinda Beck. Original music by Kendall Winter. Mountain Foley by Melody Parrish. If you're on Twitter, you can follow me at Moss Hollow Pod, or you can write to me directly at mosshollowpod at gmail.com. Find more of Kendall's music on our Instagram at winterkendall, that's K-E-N-D-L. And lastly, you can stay up to date at mosshollowpod.com. I release a new episode every Tuesday, so I'll see you then, and thanks for listening.